Well, good morning. It is November 11th, um, Veterans Day in 2023. I'm recording this podcast actually from the clinic here in New Mexico. I'm I'm at uh, at work, and Saturdays are a little slow here at the clinic, so I'm back here in the back room, and if the nurses need me, they can just run in and grab me, and I might have to press pause, but... I uh, wanted to get started on this podcast because I've been back for a few days now for my mule deer hunt, and I wanted to chat with you all about kind of how it went. Um, so there's a lot to say. I made some notes here, um, which is um, not normally how I do my podcast. As you know, usually there's someone here. This will be the third time I actually do a solo podcast, and uh, they're a little bit different, so I'm kind of going off of my memory and notes and how I'm feeling at the time. So, and I don't know if any of you know this, but I don't edit any of my podcasts. So if I'm fumbling and stumbling and saying, um, ah, and, uh, just like I just did, uh, I don't edit anything. So everything is, is, is raw, especially like some of these pauses where I'm thinking or whatever, I just, um, release it. And then I listen to it um, after it's been released, believe it or not, and then um, do my my cringeworthy um, uh, little things about uh, how terrible it, it could be or, or was. Anyway, so um, I'll get started here uh, by saying uh, this mule deer hunt, I drew this tag last year, and um, I was really super excited about it. And of course, I, I did a lot of I, what I thought was um, ample preparation for it, getting the getting the eyes on the landscape, talking to a lot of people who live in the area. And um, what I do want to say about that is I want to thank so many people. I, I didn't write a list down of the amount of people that actually helped me, whether it's verbally or actually came out into the country with me, uh, talked with me, you know. Uh, on the phone, in person, um, like I said, so many people have. Um, there's a couple guys that who you know jumped in the truck with me and drove the country and talked and talked about you know different places that they've seen really nice mule deer and you know there's a, a gentleman, his name is Larry from Twins Outfitting. Uh, uh, he has had this outfitting business for you know north of 30 years with his brother. And now his son uh, is taking over the business. They're, they all still do it, but his son does most of it. I hope to have them on the podcast at, at some point. Um, but just amazing, amazing people. Um, really helpful. Didn't ask for a dime, um, but even offered uh, for me to stay at their place. Uh, you know, in their tent, uh, they have like a, a place where they, you know, they bring their... Um, they're hunters and uh, there's a stove in there and there's a tent and you know it's a wall tent that's on their property and uh, offered that to me when it was really cold and stuff and uh, Larry drove the unit with me and um, we you know showed like I said showed me a lot of different spots so if you've ever heard of twins outfitting in New Mexico um, I would highly highly suggest those guys uh, just uh, salt of the earth type of people, really great. Whether it's you want to pick up the phone and call them and talk to them about hunting, or you want to uh, book a hunt with them, and this is completely unsolicited. And 
um, just kind of, uh, I, I didn't even realize that I would, you know, try to plug them at all, but I just wanted to, Larry just came to my mind as far as people who helped. And so, um, you know, they're just really great people, but it's, it's called, they're called twins outfitting in, uh, in New Mexico anyway. Uh, so just, you know, thankful to all the people who helped me in this hunt and, um, really, uh, was excited in, in the beginning and, and all the way till the last, the last, uh, few moments of shooting light um, on the 8th all the way to the end and I gotta tell you even at the end when you know the last light kind of you know dripped out and um, there was no more time left to, to get the mule deer um, I, I got tearful at the end because it was at the end of a very like long and challenging road for me and so what I do want to say about that is that uh, we, we all have our kind of installed what we would think is limitations for whether it's uh, hunting or in life, you know, things that we, th we feel like that's our limit. We can't go past that either because we're physically unable to, or, you know, you know, just mentally or emotionally, whatever it is that we can't go past a certain point. But I'll tell you, um, and I'm sure a lot of you know this already, but you can break past that and get way past that. Cause I know I did in this hunt on multiple levels, whether it was mentally that, you know, physically as well. And, and emotionally, like, you, you know, there's, there's, there was times it was a solo hunt. So this, there was times where I just sat with myself for a moment out there and I was like, wow, this is really hard. It's really, again, lonely. It's, um, there's, it seems like it's insurmountable because I haven't seen anything or, you know, whatever time of day it was, maybe it was like really super cold, couldn't feel your fingers or you couldn't get warm. You know, you're sitting on a, on a hillside glassing and just like really far from camp or far from the truck and knowing that you have to, you know, put that backpack right back on and, and, and hike back out in the dark or whatever it was. There's so many different times throughout the hunt where you just have to basically suck it up and um, and make it work. And there were times where I would sit there and be like, man, I, just, I can't do this, or this is like really tough, you know? And, and then you think about um, everyone's particular limitations, you know? Um, I think about some, you know, wilderness, but, you know, really raw, uh, hardcore backcountry hunters that are out there doing it by themselves and they're miles and miles and miles away from any you know, civilization or service or and you know they're just out there hunting and doing their thing and you have that from that extreme to uh, on the other side of the gamut where you have someone either like myself who's just a few miles off of the asphalt and it's their first or second or just they're early in their hunting career and they're just doing their first few solo uh, attempts and, you know, they're struggling through, you know, making a fire or being cold or whatever it might be, you know. So you have that all the way to, you know, somebody who's kind of calloused and raw and um, really experienced in the backcountry and in, in the wilderness and, and anyone in between. So what I would, you know, just offer up to that is that uh, wherever you are on your journey, um, you can push past it. And it may not seem at the time that it's worth it, but 
to me, uh, especially after the hunt now, it's really helped me. And I've always said this, hunting has helped me in my life. It's helped me make better decisions. It's helped me endure. It's helped me push past, uh, you know, areas, um, challenges, you know, you know, mentally in my life, you know, even morally, uh, ethically, and uh, just been just be a better person. I've outlined that several times with, you know, certain people that I've talked to on the podcast. And uh, if anyone's listened to any of the, the past episodes, I'm sure you've picked up on that. Um, what I do want to say really quickly as it just came across my, my mind here, my radar, is uh, I had a, got an email recently from um, someone who listened to the PETA podcast, uh, the People uh, of Ethical Treatment of Animals, and who is a vegan and who said that they really enjoyed the podcast um, That with my conversation with PETA. And and this is uh, this is not a hunter. It's a, a you know someone who uh, is against hunting, or it seemed like they were in the in the email, but was uh, really thankful to have uh, open dialogue on both ends. And um, what I told him was, I hope you keep listening. You know, thanks for you know uh, your your email. It was you know very motivating. But thank you know keep listening because the the podcast this podcast is not necessarily. I know it's you would look at it and say, oh, this is about hunting and, and, and wildlife. But what I told him was this is really about life, you know. Um, and the reason why I started doing this is because I've, I feel like hunting has, has helped me in my life and helped me to be a better person. So with that, I hope that, you know, some of you out there can get a message, even if it's a small one about persevering or, you know, if it's motivating to you in any other way. I've gotten some really other some other really positive uh emails on that on that end so that keeps me inspired and motivated to keep to keep talking anyway so um as i was kind of saying that you know um we can all push past our our limitations and that's what i got you know from this hunt so and a couple really cool stories that i want to tell um not so much a storyteller i'm kind of just i'll just recount you know, something that happened and hopefully it turns into a, a decent story for you. But, um, uh, there was a, uh, a morning where actually it was a second morning and I was on a hillside. I was, um, right before dark, I was setting up my tripod and spotting scope and it was like bone chilling cold. I want to say probably 15 degrees. Um, if not less than that. And it was, of course, before the sun comes up is when it's the coldest throughout the night. And so um, I'm setting up my tripod and I'm putting my spotting scope on it um, and I'm getting ready to just start glassing up. You know, for those of you who don't know what glassing is, it's just basically looking through binoculars or spotting scopes or some kind of optic at um, a particular part of the country, and people call it glassing. So anyway, because you're looking through glass. So I was glassing up this um, hillside, um, and as the sun, as the sky started to change, you know, it got, it's starting to get brighter, the hillside starts to, to gradually and gradually light up. And if you can picture it, I'm sitting there on this hillside on the mountain and glassing up on a another side of the mountain and it's um there's a lot of you know broken down timber and um 
the hillside is just scattered with, you know, fallen trees um, and, and kind of open, but a lot of, a lot of grass in there too. So uh, it seemed anyway, like a part of the hillside that would be great for um, uh, a mule deer to, to be out there or, or anything out there feeding. So anyway, as the sun's coming up, um, I eventually, I'm looking at what look like these humongous, like tree limbs and I'm just gradually moving my spotting scope up the side of the mountain uh, slowly. And I see this, these, tr what I thought were tree limbs move for a second. Like nothing else is moving. Super quiet out there. Um, a little bit of wind coming off the mountain. But the entire thing moved. And I stopped my spotting scope and I'm looking at, I'm like, well, did that just move? And then it tilted again, and it was one of the biggest bull elks I have ever seen. Chocolate, thick, huge, six by six. I, I mean, these his rack was just dark, looked like a like a Roosevelt type of elk type of darkness to it. The the rack, and um, he was he had his uh, tail to me, and he was feeding off. Uh, away like toward you know toward like uh, facing the mountain and and as he just moved his head his entire rack this you know his his all his antlers were just moving and I sat there and I watched this be this beautiful beautiful elk for almost two hours just watching him and as he turned his head and put his head down and then feed a little bit more and he wasn't moving very much, just kind of feeding in this area. And I don't know, it might have been longer than two hours, but I just the sun came up on him, and I just watched him for the longest time, just in awe of just the beauty and how um, he. I was just taken with him, and I don't know why. I mean, I've seen elk before, but this, this particular elk was just so just incredibly beautiful. I don't know if it was the way he was moving or just how his rack looked or what, but he was, and he was massive. And I was able to uh, put put this into scale because he had two bulls above him. You know, I, I backed out and I looked at the rest. I was like, Is there, are there any other bulls in there after a little while? And he had two five-by-fives uh, above him, two smaller bulls above him that were beautiful too. If I'd have seen them, I'd have been like, wow, I'd have stared at them for a while. But he just dwarfed them and he was just... Anyway, I can't say enough about just how regal and just... You know, he was the king of that mountain from the way it seemed. And so I watched him for a couple hours and then I uh, glassed up that entire hillside. Again, this is the second morning and I didn't see anything else over there. And I just shook myself out of this stupor um, because I'm looking for mule deer. I have a mule deer tag, not an elk tag. Right. And so I'm um, just staring and staring and staring and staring. And then I finally I'm like, OK, shake yourself out of this. You have, you have to go find a mule deer. So anyway, packed up my stuff. Um, and started, um, backed out of there, then got to the truck and then started, uh, up to the top of the Mesa. And as I'm driving, I'd say I'm driving for about a good, like 10 minutes or so, five, 10 minutes. And then, uh, another truck is coming down the road. And usually when I see a vehicle and every, we're going kind of slow, some people are like screaming through there. You know, I've done that too. Like if I'm trying to get out of there, the mountains or get up there fast or whatever, I'm some, sometimes screaming through those those uh, roads, and 
this particular morning, the truck was just creeping along. To, you could just obviously tell that they were hunting and looking. And, and so I, you know, s- slowly stopped. And so did they. And uh, as the, the window comes down, it's a younger kid, probably like in his late teens, early 20s driving. And in the passenger seat is a guy probably in his, well, I found out later he's in his uh, late, uh, mid, mid to late 60s. And he was on oxygen. He was on a nasal cannula, on on um, low flow oxygen, and he looked. Uh, let's say he looked sick. Just in case he listens to this podcast, he looked sick, but he just looked like. Uh, and I'll tell you a little bit more later. Um, and then behind them was a, a, a crew cab truck, and behind them was uh, a couple, a younger couple in their mid twenties, and it was that both were his sons, and then a younger girl back there. And we just got to chatting, and I said I had a mule deer tag, and they said that they had a, a bull elk tag. And so I said, okay, uh, I've, I like to help anyone, right? So I started chatting with them about the bull elk that I just saw. And one of the other kids, he had uh, a, an onyx, and so we're like trying, I'm trying to show him on the onyx, get out of my truck and showing him on the onyx where it is. And they just weren't getting it. And then finally I was like, okay, uh, do you guys want me to show you, you know? So I was like, okay, I'll just take time out of my hunt. I already took two hours staring at this bull. You know, I'll go down there and help this family get their get their tag filled. So get down to the to the spot and drove out to the, you know, the, the edge of the, the hilltop there and then you know, walked out to the mount, to that side of the mountain and set up my scope and started looking for him and sat there for a good hour and couldn't find him. You know, he wasn't, oh, we didn't see him anyway. I mean, he could have been up there, but we, we just did, couldn't find him. And they weren't using binoculars, which was odd to me. Um, they, they didn't have any binoculars, and they just had a couple rifles, and they had two tags. And so um, they were, it was a little awkward, but they were looking through their, their scopes and while I was looking through my spotting scope. And so... I finally offered them. I said, so, you know what? I have an extra pair of binoculars back at the camp. Um, you know, if you guys want, I'll, you know, you can follow me back to the camp. It's probably about 30 minutes away from here. And then um, I'll give you the binoculars. You guys can come here in the morning and, and you know, and see if you can find them. And I'll just get your number and get my binoculars back from you later. And uh, they were so thankful and they, you know, told me about places where they, they seen mule deer in the past and where they fill their tag a couple years ago and that kind of thing. So it was mutually beneficial and they were nice people. And so get back to the, I get them back to my camp, gave them the binoculars, exchange numbers and that. And then we just got to talking and then I just, again, offered, <laughs> offered more of my time, said, hey, do you guys want me to help you find them in the morning? Because you guys obviously, you know, you just have one pair of binoculars and two rifle scopes. And so um, they, were, they were all over that. So I was like, okay, I'll meet you here in the morning, 5 o'clock. I'll get my scope set up, and then we'll, we'll hopefully see if we can find them. So uh, next morning we, we get up, or I get up and I get there, and I, you know, I'm there first, and it's dark. And next, you know, within like 15 minutes I have um, two trucks now pull up with their lights behind me and I'm like, Oh, these guys brought the cavalry, and that's a good thing because they're going to need it to, to get in there and get this bull out of there if we find him. So, um, 
cut a long story short, get up there and I find him. It takes a little while and I'm kind of sweating a little bit. I'm like, man, they're not going to believe me that I found this bull. But ended up finding the bull um, in there. They both, you know, we had three of them that got a chance to look at him in the spotting scope. And they got so excited. They were kind of cheering and like being a little loud when they saw him in the scope. Um, He heard us, obviously, and then just turned and started walking down and then towards us underneath us. And he was about 400 yards away. I ranged him at about 406. And um, the gentleman wanted to shoot him, right, as he's walking down. He's like, we got to shoot him quick. He's moving us. And to me, he didn't have a shot, meaning he wanted to throw up the rifle and handhold it and, like, and shoot him as he's like, he just had his spine exposed. And so I said, um, hey, this is, you know, and I'm not someone to tell anybody anything about hunting, but I know, right, that would have been, would not have been an ethical shot. So I just kind of piped up a little bit and I said, hey, you know, this is probably not going to be a good shot. Um, so why don't we like just let him go down? Like, you know, he's going anyway, let him go down and let's like, you know, relax. And then, um, what we'll do is we'll see if we can, once he goes down below us, maybe we can, um, inch down and, he had two of the kids already on their way down the mountain, and then I was with the the older gentleman, and we were, you know, I was kind of inching over to the right with him to see if we could still see him, and you know, I was looking at the binoculars, and anyway, it turned into kind of a, you know, a crap show there for a minute, and I could hear below below us um, that he was after a little while he started cracking and fighting with another bull down there, and so. Um, after about an hour or two of like just trying to figure out what to do, I just said, "Hey, you know what? I'm I'm gonna go ahead and get going. You guys, uh, you know what I would suggest is you guys are back up here uh, the next day." And unfortunately, I couldn't. Two of these days, I'll just disclose this. And then my hunt was from the fourth to the eighth, and from the sixth and the seventh, I couldn't come out to the mountains because I had uh, orientation for work. So um, I ended up, um, you know, two of my eating two of my days of my tag. And so anyway, um, I told him, I said, Ian, tomorrow I won't be out here to help you guys. So, you know, be out here early. You know, he seems like a creature of habit. He's out, he's been out here. So, you know, what I would do is I would, you know, get out here early and get set up and um, see if you can find him. Long story short, um, I called him uh, for two days and I didn't get anything from them. And finally I got a, a long text message from them saying that they had shot the bull that morning. They got back up there and shot him and lost him. And so if I picked up the phone right away, right when I saw that, and I, I was like, Hey, what happened? You know, because all I could think about is how beautiful that bull is now. I'm like, did, did you, what happened? Did you, you killed him? Did you, you sure you killed him? Did you injure him? Did you, did you maybe miss him? What happened? And so he said that they shot him from about 800 yards away, which is already like if, you know, I was pulling my hair out there right when I heard that. I was like, Jesus, like you guys. And I was like, well, where did you hit him? Did you know where he goes? We're not sure. We, but we think we hit him. We hit him maybe three or four times. And um, he went down. And I was like, oh, so he went down. And then uh, I said, well, what happened? You know, he goes, when we inched across the top to try to get down to him, we got close to him and he stood up and ran. And then he said when they got to where he was laying, there was two big puddles of blood and they haven't seen him since. And this was today is Saturday. 
this was uh, yesterday is when I got the text from them. And so he goes, we're going to try to go back in there again today, which is Saturday, and now look for birds and see if, like, birds are circling and, you know, because he's in there dead probably and, you know, or maybe. This is what it sounds like anyway. And, man, to be honest, I part of my soul just died, you know, when they told me that story because I remember, you know, you know, the, the moments that the two hours of just staring at like one of the most beautiful animals I've ever seen. And in a way, yeah, I don't know if they're listening to this podcast and you know, I don't care, but in a way, um, I'm, I'm regretful, you know, I'm regretful that I told them about this bull. I'm regretful that I mentioned anything, you know, but I did do it. I, f- I felt in good faith, and I tried to help them in good faith. And <coughs> I will say this: I'm nobody, right? I'm not a you know I'm not an accomplished hunter or anything. And it's I've gone through my paces to get where I am as far as my ethics and what I would do in certain situations. And I'm still gonna make I'm still gonna make uh, mistakes, and um, I'm gonna have lapse lapses in judgment at times they there's a saying i've heard that, that makes sense is that big bucks make hunters do stupid stuff and or it's something along those lines big bucks make people do dumb things or whatever and so not saying that they did a dumb thing you know with the 800 yards or the hand holding i don't know what the shot was like i didn't want to get even get into any of that but i do a big part of me does regret it, and I, I, if I, if they're listening, I, you know, that I, I'm just being truthful in that, and I feel like anybody who would be in my shoes would kind of feel the same way. Um, that could have been me, that they told about it, and I, and I shot, and I missed, and those things happen, and I've done those things before, and it's not so much a knock on them personally; it's more of the situation of knowing how just regal and amazing and he's a life no matter what but just i felt like i had some intimate moments watching that bull on that hillside and now i'm responsible for you know buzzards circling him you know somewhere you know and or a bear or a lion tearing into him somewhere in the hillside now and um it just makes me sad in a way actually so uh and you know, there's a, a sliver of a chance that um, that he's still alive out there. You know that he's living. He's these a- animals are very resilient. They you know could have he could have bled a little bit from something, and they maybe they missed all their shots except for one. And you know he you know but he did lay down, and you know so I, it's hard to know. And what I told them was I would you know I work today until four. I was going to call them after work see if they found him, and I was going to go out there on Sunday tomorrow, which is my day off, and spend the, the day looking for him to find out where what happened or, or give it at least a shot to find him. So there's that story, um, and that story is a kind of a bitter, sweet story in that lessons learned there is you know, if I was to do it all over again, I would definitely help someone else fill their tag because I would want somebody to help me. But I would also um, 
I don't know how I could have taken more control over that situation or if that would have helped at all. You know, you encountered all kinds of uh, hunters in different parts of their journey as a hunter. And I don't know that certain people evolve or stay in certain, you know, uh, areas. Um, so my the only thing that I would get from this is that I'm thankful that I, I myself try to learn and try to, to be a better hunter and person throughout my journey. And I hope that uh, that impresses something along people who are listening and not just people who hunt, but in their lives, that they can get better um, in learning lessons from, from things that happen in their life. So I think that's all I have to say about that on, the, on that end. So I'll always remember that, like taking a, you know, those really cool, intimate moments with that bull. Okay, so uh, I um, I, I wanted to, the note, I put here notes for the podcast. The first thing that I wanted to tell you guys is freaking mule deer hunting is difficult, man. It's hard. It's like, it's depending on where you are, if it's public land, what unit you're in, it's this was a tough hunt for me because I, you, I come from hunting axis deer in Hawaii where they're everywhere. Like, I mean, you can get meat for days. Uh, you know, maybe finding like a huge buck that might be a little bit more difficult or, or you know, looking for something that in your range, whatever your range is, you know, most people say it's north of 30 inches. But whatever your range is, you know, if you have like big expectations, um, then... And that's my second thing here is expectations, knowing what they are. But what I wanted to say is that it's really difficult. And because my expectations on this hunt were was a, was a big quality, older mule deer, right? Because I saw smaller bucks. I did. And I passed on a couple small bucks that I said to myself, I was like, this is not why I came, you know? I mean, of course, I'd be happy with any meat and 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 thankful for the life and those kinds of things. But this is not why I came the, the, in my mind, I have, I have a, I even have a screenshot of a huge uh, mule deer on my phone as motivation throughout this entire uh, uh, hunt. And I had a certain expectation. I wouldn't have been happy if I'd have shot what I, you know, some of the smaller bucks that I'd seen. So the, the second thing here is that what I put, or actually it's the third thing is that know your expectations, know what you're willing to harvest you know, are you looking for a trophy and or quality animal? Are you just looking for meat? Are you looking for your first buck? And be happy with that and walk away from the mountain and be happy that you harvested whatever animal that was. Because I know that if I was to, to have shot a smaller buck, I would have left the mountain thankful, but just wondering, keep looking. I, I use the analogy, looking over your shoulder, like keep looking over, you know, someone's shoulder to see what out there, what's, what's next out there. Then that's never a good feeling. That's not something that you want to do when you have something precious within your, your atmosphere. You never want to be looking over, you know, the sh a shoulder, someone's shoulder to see what else is out there, seeing if the grass is greener than what you have. It's another huge life lesson that I've definitely learned as well. Um, but, um, the, the other thing I had on here is hunting solo. You know, it's, there's a lot of challenges with that if you're not used to it and they mirror challenges in your life from what I've seen, you know, for what I saw in this hunt. And 
in that you have to really, if when you're by yourself, you really do have to control your attitude and your mood and make sure that you're consistently, and it doesn't have to be constantly, but at least consistently in either a good mood or have a good attitude when you're out there or it's, or it's just going to be a long day. So enjoy. If you're solo, enjoy it. You know, bring things to, you know, keep yourself happy or be in an area that you, that you enjoy and, you know, um, just be prepared for that solo journey. Um, and not just for the quote solo pursuit, but just be, be ready mentally, you know, you know, when it gets tough and you're not seeing animals, what you're going to do, what kind of mental exercises or what you're going to draw on from your past or whatever to keep you going physically as well in that you're by yourself and make sure that, you know, if it's steep terrain that you have the right boots and that you're, you know, if you need to wrap your ankles or you need whatever kind of support you need, you know, for the terrain, the weather that you're in, you know, be physically prepared. And then and the last thing I have on here is emotionally like be, you know, we all go through, um, you know, whether you're on a solo hunt, you're on a hunt with a lot of other people. I've heard it said before that make sure that you know, not just who you're going with, especially if it's a long hunt, if you're with someone else, but know what they're going through as well. Because you don't want someone to, um, I don't say ruin your hunt, but you don't want uh, to be with someone with a bad attitude or, you know, someone who's maybe going through things unless you're in the, the correct mindset to kind of help them get through it. And then if you're solo, then you're, you're also, um, if you're, and you're taking something emotional into the mountains, just know that, and I've said this to a lot of people before, that it doesn't go away when you go in the mountains, especially if you're solo. If, if anything, it's intensified. And just be ready for that mirror of um, emotional uh, baggage that you have with you that you're you're going to take it into the mountains and it's going to be crystallized and it's going to be put in your face and it's going to be things you're going to have to deal with it out there uh, in a more intimate way. So again, just being, if you're solo, just being prepared and just in general being prepared for your hunt. I would definitely suggest it to everyone, you know, whether you hunt or you don't. Um, it's It was uh, at times very uncomfortable in all those ways I just outlined, whether it's mentally, physically, and emotionally. But, um, to, you know, sitting here with you today, it was definitely worth it. And it's worth it to at least go through, you know, what I went through and uh, chat with you about those things. But, um, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, Let's see here. What else did I have uh, for notes? Oh, this is a good one. Um, so there's there's some stress, obviously, that comes along with finding the animal that you want to find, right? And then the amount of days that you have to do it. Know your time frame. Know what you're looking for. And more than anything, this is what I've learned. And I hope this is not, it's not always going to be perfect. It's not always going to be this way. But try to find the animal that you're looking for before the first day of the hunt. That's what I would say, man. So on the first day, you're set up and you at least have your first opportunity because you can draw off that opportunity later mentally and say, okay, at least I had an opportunity. You know, at least I got my opportunity at this animal. Hopefully you filled your tag. You found the animal again. You filled your tag. 
but try and find those, whether it's you know where he's bedded, you know where he's sleeping, you know like what, uh, what routes he's taking to and from his bedding or feeding or migration or whatever it is, make sure you have that down and you've actually in the perfect the perfect situation would be to have already put your eyes on an animal that you want or the animal or some animals that um, that you know that you want to harvest before and hopefully it's the day before but bef- you know or two days or whatever it is before the hunt but put your eyes on that animal before the first day of the hunt if you can that's one thing that I'm definitely not going to allow to happen to me again because I didn't. I never once saw the trophy mountain denizen, as Steve Ranella would say, that I wanted to to harvest. Like I didn't see that, you know, buckzilla that that uh, that just king of the mountain. I never saw him, you know. And so, if you if you've been out there fifteen times before your hunt. And you have four days in your hunt or five days and you still you haven't seen him. Do you, what are the odds of you seeing him in those five days? Right. There's pretty slim. So try to put your eyes on on either that animal or or, or an animal that um, that you're happy with, you know, prior to opening day. Because the key is that it reduces stress. It really does, man. You're stressed out pretty much, you know, even though it's a great time and you're out there and you're camping and you get to your by the campfire and you're warm and you're drinking your ramen and whatever it is, you know, and you're seeing like elk and like I saw this beautiful elk and you got all this other stuff going on. What's the task at hand? You know, focus on the task at hand because, you know, even if you did see him, right, and opening day you see him, right, Nothing's guaranteed. He's set up and he's 200 yards from me and he's broadside. The wind could switch as you're clicking your, your, your gun onto, um, off of safety and he just bounds away on you. After all that preparation, he's gone. I mean, the one. So nothing's guaranteed. Or you, like, you miss. I mean, you, you clearly miss him. You, 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 uh, you, you know, you're too high, you're too low, you hit him in the leg and he, you know, you know, you can't find him. Nothing's guaranteed. That animal's not guaranteed. So think about all those things and, and narrow down the, um, all the things that, uh, that could go wrong and try to focus in on, you know, being successful and, and what it'll take uh, to get there. Uh, because, you know, it may not work out even if you're in the most, you know, perfect, uh, situation. And, and kind of piggybacking off of that, have a second and third and fourth and fifth option and of whether it's animals or places that you need to go or, or, or can go where you know you've seen whether it's an animal that you want to harvest or a lot of animals or know at least that the hunt will stay viable and you're not just kind of like out in the wilderness, you know, you know, walking around, you know, hoping something will, you'll see something because you don't have a lot of days now. So try to get all that done before the actual hunt starts. So that's what I would say about that. Um, so, whoa, this, I'm at 39 minutes. This is the longest podcast that I've done, uh, solo. So, um, but anyway, um, I don't know what else 
I really need to kind of uh, to, to tell you about as far as this hunt is concerned, other than it was a really great experience. Um, I didn't end up, uh, as you can tell, so, you know, from, you know, how this podcast has went, I didn't end up finding the animal that I wanted to find. And I didn't think that it would turn out this way. You know, I, I, I wanted to, the word of this, this hunt was believe, you know, make sure you, 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 you have belief in yourself and you believe that it's going to happen. And as, like I said, when the podcast started, as the light ticked away, you know, those, those last minutes of shooting like ticked away, I got tears in my eyes because there was just so much that went into this hunt, whether it's, you know, what I thought was good preparation and the weather and dealing with that and being out there solo and dealing with some um, emotional stuff and some mental stuff and some physical stuff out there and just all the challenges that came along with it as the as the 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 light slipped the sun slipped behind the mountains i just uh i don't know like the the um, kind of the emotions of the hunt finally just washed over me and was like okay it's finally over you know what was this all about <laughs> what did you do this for what was what did you learn from this and um yeah i drove home and and a bit of a somber mood and then as you know the next day came and you know and now we're like a few days out that were the 11th the, the hunted the hunt ended on the on the 8th now we're in the 11th and I feel really good and you know I'm reflecting on it and learning a lot about like myself and what I would do differently and on the next hunt but um but yeah um, I hope you guys uh, enjoyed that or at least learned something from that. And like I, I told the, the gentleman who emailed me about the PETA podcast who doesn't hunt, these podcasts are not, um, I, I would like to say that they're not just about hunting. I feel like they're about life. And in the podcasts um, to come, um, I, there's a couple of things, I want, a couple of announcements on that. One is I can't get a hold of Nick who uh, is the Mexican wolf biologist, and we have a, a podcast scheduled for this week, and it, I believe it's because he's out in the field. There's a lost wolf out there that they've been trying to uh, get back uh, into his or her uh, normal habitat. And I there's Nick's boss, too, which they're very usually responsive on text and stuff, and neither one is like... Is getting back, and, and I've heard in the news anyway that there's a there's this problem with this wolf that they're really trying to 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 get back into to the habitat where where the Mexican wolves are where they're supposed to be. So I think that they're dealing with that. So hopefully, I'm still able to do that podcast with them this week. If not, um, that'll drop as soon as we can. Um, I've got another one with uh, someone with Utah fishing game coming up. Um, his name's Dax. He's awesome. Uh, he's out whitetail hunting right now. And when he gets back, we're going to hopefully get that scheduled to where I'll be up in Utah and, and, and talking with him again. This will be my second podcast with him. It's a, kind of embarrassing, but the first time that I did my podcast with, with their organization, my, my podcast equipment was on mute. So three hours of just a cool conversation that wasn't recorded. Um, and that was embarrassing to disclose afterwards when I got home, like, hey, guys, uh, by the way, uh, 
I didn't unpress the mute button, and so that was a rookie move. But um, but yeah, uh, and and then um, uh, have some other stuff scheduled as well. Um, I'll kind of disclose that on the, hopefully after the Mexican Wolf or the the podcast with Dax coming up. But I uh, just want to thank you guys for listening again to A Courage Experiment. Um, I have some other non-hunting uh, type of um, podcast that I would like to start um, uh, introducing into the podcast, uh, in, into the episodes. And um, I'll probably end up putting it in season. This We're coming to the end of season one, and I want to start season two and start it off with uh, with a bang of... Uh, something that I do in my normal life, and that's EMS and um, and medicine. Just got this job doing paramedics again, and I'm studying to be a flight medic. And so that's really super interesting, learning a lot about pressures and how uh, uh, pathophysiology uh, changes and physiology changes as uh, you get higher in the air and um, learning about Boyle's Law and Charles' Law and uh, different kinds of uh, laws as, uh, as they exert themselves on the, on the patients and, and uh, the disease processes and those kinds of things. And never been a really great student, so it's um, drudging through some of it, but it's also like super interesting, and I'd like to really share a lot of that stuff with you coming up here on Season 2. So just be prepared for... Uh, hunting, wildlife, and uh, anything else of like really cool interest, hopefully to you. So thanks for listening today on this Veterans Day. And I uh, just want to say thank you to our, um, our veterans and anybody who's in the armed forces and helps protect our country. God bless America. <laughs>